0: welcome to the Like Arrows podcast, the show that will connect you to the right organizations and resources to help you become whole, healthy, and healed in every way. Hey, what's up LA fam? I'm your host, Lauren Williams, and this is episode eight for season one on the podcast. Stay tuned for a quick recap. If you are new to the LA fam, thank you for joining us today. For this season, we have been talking about how to have a healthy sexuality, whether you are single or dating or engaged or married. I want to open up the podcast today with a segment called exciting things are coming in 2023. One of the things I'm excited about is trying a new pumpkin spice drink recipe that I found online the other day. Now, don't laugh at me for being basic and liking pumpkin spice, but it is one of my favorite drinks for this fall season, and I can't wait to try and making it at home myself instead of spending $7 for a Starbucks drink. If you don't like anything pumpkin spice, then tell me what your favorite drink is by commenting on one of my most recent Instagram posts. Last week, we listened to part one of Nate and Maggie Blaylock's story, In part two of their story, today you will hear the steps they took to restore themselves, their marriage, and their family. They talk more in depth about their passion for helping individuals and couples and families through their business called Known Counseling Services. They specialize in sexual addiction, betrayal, trauma, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. If you want to learn more or want to schedule an appointment with them you can click on the link in the description below. If you are listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify, it would make my day if you leave a review as it helps people find the podcast. I would love to read your review one week and share how this podcast has blessed you, so don't forget to leave a review. So here is part two of my conversation with Nate and Maggie Blaylock, and without further ado, let's get into this week's episode
1: dates me a little, but I remember seeing Tiger Woods story come out where he had gotten arrested back in the day and gone through the, he had gotten into sex addiction treatment. And I remember seeing the story and going, that's where I'm going to end up. Like I'm going to end up there if I don't deal with this. But of course I didn't, I just doubled down on hiding and trying harder, uh, and didn't actually take any steps to get, to get healthy. And, um, So there were, there were secret relationships. There were secret affairs. There was other acting out outside of porn. Um, And March 25th, 2012, um, we had, we had a two-year-old and a six-week-old, four-week-old at the time. Um, And we, it was a Sunday night and we had a knock on the door and there was somebody coming to give Maggie some information that she didn't know uh, that um was be- the beginning of outing some of the secrets that I had. And that began kind of that was the point in time where I all of a sudden wasn't able to hide from it anymore. I, I tried lying still for quite some period of time, but over the course of the next days and weeks, um, you know, life all my secrets began to unravel. And I tried to manage that the best I could. We had some really good, um, people who came alongside and made a recommendation to get into a certified sexual addiction helper. And when we both began to do that, you know, and Maggie started talking about like, okay, there's going to have to be boundaries here. And I may need you to take a polygraph to know if you're like some extreme stuff that would have sounded so extreme at the time, but she had a helper that was saying, yeah, this where there's addiction involved, there probably is more secrets and you do need to know. And that was the beginning of, of, me for the first time facing boundaries in these areas that I couldn't manage or couldn't troll. And I had a panic attack. Uh, the first of a few, I remember that that night mm-hmm. had began to have a panic attack. Cause it was just this realization that like, I'm out of control and I can't manage this anymore. And yeah, it was a awful period of time. Maggie left for a period of time and, you know, she rightfully so she should have. And Um, Over the course of the next days and weeks and months that turned into years of doing work, um, both individually and with a helper in some couples work as well, Um, we were able to take some steps towards, you know, getting healthy and repairing. And it took a a whole it took a long time. And there are still days where because of the choices that I made, um, they're still hurt, you know, that's there 11 years later, but. Um, so thankful for those boundaries. I'm so thankful for the grace of people that came alongside me in those periods, um, and you know our relationship is forever different on this side of things because of that. So obviously there's a lot in there to unpack, but that's probably the high level, the high level version, the thirty thousand foot flyover of kind of how that played out, how it, you know, how crap proverbially hit the fan there and you know, we, we kind of I got into recovery for the first time.
0: Mm, yeah. Thank you guys so much for being so vulnerable and going over those details. And you guys, like you said, you said a lot. So I'm, I want to kind of go back and unpack some things. So one, I liked Maggie, how you mentioned that there's a difference between a regular therapist that practices CBT versus a CSAT, a certified sexual addiction therapist that has uh, been trained whether through ITAP or another organization that is trained on addiction and sexual addiction and how they are able to recognize certain patterns in people. And also I help them identify trauma and walking them through that so they can heal. Um, so one, I like that Two, um, You mentioned the polygraph. Um, that's, like wow so Nate when you first heard that what was going through your mind like what were you thinking what were you feeling how did you react and then Maggie what was kind of going through your head too the Christian podcast yeah probably some words (laughs)
2: I can't say yeah Um,
1: I mean again and I know like For some people maybe listening in from the outside that can sound extreme or, you know, because that's, that's certainly not everybody's story, but where there was a pattern history of lying, our therapist recognized both for Maggie to ever have a chance to rebuild or trust again, but also for me so that I truly, I didn't get 98% of it out that I was able to truly empty out. Um, That was so needed.
2: I think for us, the first month after initial discovery, he would Tell me a whole bunch of things and then say that's it. There's no more, right? And then I'd dig, I, I'd start thinking, and a few days later I'd investigate and I'd ask more and I'd be like, what about this? What about that? And then he'd give me more details and he'd say that's it. it you you know it all now. There's nothing else, right? And so that's called, th- therapeutically that's called a staggered disclosure. And so I got that over a month, and I I literally would have these out of body rage moments of out of control. That first month was just really, it, it took me a, about a month before I finally said, you're out of here. I can't even do, I don't even, it was such a bad moment. Once I finally hit a piece of information where I was like, I literally cannot take anymore," mm-hmm. um, And that was what truly got us um, into a point of like, okay, we're going to do a disclosure a therapeutic disclosure where he's gonna, you know, work to write it all down. And we're going to polygraph that that is accurate, that he hasn't left anything out. So yeah. it's not everyone's story. Not everyone needs it, but there was years of deception. And then in recovery, there was a lot of staggers of truth. And quite frankly, I say that month, and and I think what you have to understand why I didn't just oust him the first day. Like the reality was we had a one-year-old and a four-week-old newborn and my family lived 18 hours away in South Dakota. And I knew I couldn't have them come help that early. Like I knew I was just like, you can't come, you'll kill him. You just can't come right now and be a part of this chaos. Um, And so he was in and around helping, but it got so bad. I finally had to say like, we're done here. And then he went and did like a week of one-on-one with our therapist that we had found like an intensive that was very similar to inpatient. And then about another month later, we went and did the disclosure with the polygraph.
1: Yeah. And I think to answer your question, Lauren, I mean, the, uh, I mean that the mention of the polygraph was the thing that law that made me realize that I had lost control. Right, because it was it was a boundary that I needed. It's probably the equivalent in drug or alcohol treatment of, you know, an intervention and somebody saying you're gonna go to treatment and not have access to drugs. Um, you know, I I didn't have access to my secrets anymore. They were gonna get outed and I I mean, I had a panic attack or I I freaked out that night because I was out of control. Mm-hmm. And I even through that process I was trying to manage, you know it all, all but knowing that there were still secrets that I never was, I was I told myself I was gonna take to my grave. And um so yeah, it was not a fun uh it, it wasn't a fun conversation, but as I began to do some intensive work with my therapist, I realized that regardless of what happened with Maggie, I wanted to save that for sure. But regardless of what happened, like I didn't have any chance to be healthy if I didn't get the truth out. And the polygraph was as much helpful for me uh in hindsight as it was for her. And so you know I, I look back at it now like Grace. Uh it was really Grace in my life. It just it just didn't feel like it at the time.
2: Yeah. And I think for me, I definitely there had been so much stagger. I just didn't believe a thing he um said at all. I mean he could have told me this is, you know, the skies I, I just I didn't believe anything. Mm-hmm. And so for me it was a uh, once I I heard like, oh, I've thought about that, but it just seems so crazy and out there. But that, if you're saying that's a thing, um, I definitely needed it. And then it's helped in the years to follow when my brain, when I get triggered and I start going down this path of like, oh, I wonder about that friend from church, or I wonder about that person, or I wonder, you know, that person always kind of looked at us funny. It I, it helps me be like, no you know, everything, you know, that, you know, that, you know, there's nothing you don't know from your past. Um, and so in those first few years of recovery, when I would start spiraling in my own trauma cycle, it really did help me kind of reground and regroup and not be just stuck for long periods of time, wondering or fearing and then investigating, right. Instead I could just reground and point to like okay where are we at right now what's going on right now what do i need right now Um, which was really really helpful for me yeah
0: yeah um and i can understand from your point of view why you would really want that because i think it's pretty interesting how uh, maggie you found out early on in your marriage like you said that you um found out about nate's um addiction year one um and is that correct like in the, yes, within the but first it was year, like
2: this much of yeah. what was actually there, right? So, yeah.
0: Okay. okay. And then I think you said around year three, that's when you were like, oh, okay, I think this is a bigger issue, right? So, because I'm just trying to kind of get at like a timeline in my head. So, year one, year three, and then I'm assuming Got year it. seven, eight, that's in, in 2012, that's yeah. when things kind of started to take a turn. And then, is that the same month where? Is that this year where you had a month of a staggered disclosure?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the end of March, we had about probably three weeks there of just me still trying to manage and staggering of disclosure and more coming out. And then really around, I mean, early April was when I went and did some real intensive work on myself. And then within a few weeks after that, we had done a couples intensive and done uh the full disclosure and the polygraph and kind of, again, that wasn't even at that point to save the relationship. I think that was just to give Maggie the information so that she could begin to heal and know what, what was there to heal from.
2: Yeah. We were very much separated at that point. I was kind of like, I'll watch and wait and see, you know, and I say separated. We had, because of little children, we agreed. We separated for a period. You went and did work we agreed after that with our therapist that you could come back home and live in the guest bedroom, but merely for like, I was like, I need a baby holder and a bottle washer. So you can come do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it was just like, uh, these kids that created a need for us to be in proximity. And truly that was a gift because it allowed me to like watch and wait and see and watch and wait and see and watch and wait and see. And, um, like truly just see that he truly was changing and it wasn't just a show.
0: Yeah. Um, What, so during the period of separation, what was kind of, that like for for both of you and especially for you Maggie I'm sure that was probably a really hard decision to say hey like we're gonna separate um because I don't know what it was like like a lot of I would say Christian women kind of had this have this idea in their head like I'm gonna marry an awesome Christian guy we're gonna have you know the white picket fence the house and all of that and at that point everything just kind of crumbled you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I
2: think. I mean it was definitely pretty brutal and Um, obviously the trauma of finding, like, you think your life is one way and then it's, you find out, oh my gosh, it's completely not. Um, and we had some people that were friends to us that we knew that were also kind of involved in some of the behavior. Um, and so I didn't just like lose Nate. I lost some other people out of my life that was really, really hard. Um, but at the same time I had a couple, so my circle went from like here to here and I had a few Um, people who really did just like come in and and help. I had one friend who would um, come over almost daily and like, get me out of bed and take, take my one-year-old to daycare and change my new baby. And she'd come back and say like, all right, you got to eat. And they just were like, really a life-giving couple to both of us. Um, Our pastor and his wife were like unlike
1: incredible just
2: like the church rose to the occasion. People would just I'd go outside and there'd be diapers and formula and um like people just really did love on us really well in our community. Um, there was obviously a lot of like talk about us too, and so it was hard to remain there, um, long term, which is why I you know why we ended up back near my family because I just needed support and I needed help and I didn't know where the chips would fall at the end of the day with our marriage. And so eventually, uh, months later, we moved back to my hometown. Um, But people really helped us during that time. It was really hard, really, really hard.
1: For me, man, that period, (laughs) that was like the most wonderful and awful period, both like of my entire life. I mean, because for the first time I was finding freedom and I was finding health um, and I was finding genuine accountability. I mean, I had a great couple of guys that came alongside me and and they began to experience like it, you know, intimacy in that aspect, right? Of just like, we're going to ask you these twelve questions every day for a while, you know, until until things are are beginning to shift and change. And I needed that. I needed that accountability, but beginning to talk about feelings and emotions and finding freedom. And I didn't have these secrets that were bogging me and weighing me down anymore. and uh in the middle of that process like again i i was a pastor's kid i i knew so much about god i i had many encounters with god but i think i remember hitting my knees about somewhere in that first month in the backyard i i can remember the song i was listening to a david crowder song and just had this moment of like i'm trying to manage this still and like i'm done and i i hit my knees in the backyard um, lawnmower running and everything and i was just i mean i was done and i said god i'm done running like i i want to surrender you know really for the first time in my entire life and so so like that began this like beautiful intimacy with god that i had not experienced before and so like so many fond things but obviously it was still living in the concept like the extreme day-to-day consequences of just separation and the hurt and you know friendship consequences and job consequences. I mean, you name it, they were there. and so it was awful um mm-hmm. at the same time. And so I don't know. I, I look back on that period with a certain sense of fondness. Um, but I wish I could have made different choices to not have to go through that because mm-hmm. I don't wish that on anybody either. But it's what I needed. I had to go through it to get mm-hmm. healthy,
2: and I would say we were in such like the we went to such wide different places because for you you were finding freedom and while you were facing consequences that were hard there was like beauty i remember you coming in and telling me about that moment cuz we went from i just felt crazy right i just went from like thinking i knew my reality to i know nothing to these moments and these bouts of rage and shock um like depression and sadness but anger um, and I remember you even, well, we went from like, I'm never going to see you again, get all your things and get out of here. You'll never see me again to like weeks later. Okay. You can come mow the lawn. You <laughs> can take care of me that way by just mow the lawn. Um, and he came in and told me about this moment. And it was this like moment where he forgot almost where we were at in our relationship. So he comes in and he's like, I got to share with you. And I'm like,
1: Cool, thanks, go, but go no to thanks. hell
2: <laughs> I like I don't care I don't want to hear it like I, I was so far and yet at the same time like God was really real to me too and really there for me and really showed up it just I just didn't believe it's for a long places, time yeah. that it would be with him yeah
0: wow that's so good Um, I liked how you guys kind of touched on what the emotions were like in going through that separation and then you guys mentioned that you moved back back closer to maggie your family so after you guys had both moved what was that like like how did you guys kind of just start sharing you know everything that you have been going through like what was what was that like how were both of you received
1: i mean we were rebuilding and trying to work on things slowly we were still separated technically when we moved back you know there was some in-home separation for still quite some period of time so we knew we needed people um because like we had begun to realize how much we just needed people in our life who were real and authentic but to your point moving to a new city uh given what we're going through was really hard we we laugh and joke about like walking into a couple sunday school class you know visiting a new church. And it's like going around, you know, sharing, oh, we have life a new group. couple. It's like, tell us about you guys. We're like, well, we're separated, uh, but we're, you know, it's just, but that's where we were. And we were trying to, we were, we didn't, yeah. we knew we couldn't do it any other way. And um, God put some awesome people in our life through just connections and Church, us kind group. of, I remember I went and go talk to a pastor and he was like, you need to go talk to so-and-so and like just connected <laughs> us with some couples who were just there for us and allowed us to be messy uh, for a year or two there while we were trying to still put things back together. Um,
2: My parents let us, we lived in their basement for our house in Alabama took a long time to sell.
1: Yeah. Which is not the place you want to live after you've just hurt uh, their daughter immensely is uh, you never think you're going to find yourself living in your in-laws basement after that, but they were super gracious and allowed allowed us to be there and allowed me to be there, um, living in a spare bedroom. And I'm, I'm thankful for that grace. Um, but like life just, we were beginning to put life, like life had crumbled and we were beginning to put things back together one piece at a time and finding a new career and a new job and learning to work with new integrity that I'd never found before. There's just, there's so many different aspects. And over time, um, relationships began to deepen and begin to grow as we, began to, to, this place began to be our home um, over a period of a few years.
0: Yeah, that's so awesome. I really loved how your community and Maggie, your parents and family members and people at church, you could kind of, feel the love and be received as you guys were trying to live in a more integrous way. I think that's just so amazing. Um, And I think anyone going through recovery at some point find themselves like, okay, this is it. This is my mess, regardless of, you know, what people Uh think about me. And I love that you guys, you know, stuck true to that.
2: I think that like, for the most part, people really want vulnerability and they really want authenticity. And when we gave that we found more often than not people were drawn in by that and wanted to show up and either be a part and be helpers and and sometimes share back. Oh, us too. Um, but we did find like I'm I can, I'm so thankful that our therapist helped coach us through how do you authentically share? How do you be real when people say, "Oh, what brought you back? What what brought you to town?" Or um, and so it's not like we just went around at like the grocery store telling people what, where we were at, but as we developed authentic friendships, just being real, mm-hmm. it really did allow us to have this depth with friends that we had yeah. never experienced before. And even with my family.
1: Definitely.
0: Yeah. And so it sounds like throughout your whole story, your therapist or your CSAT has been really uh, pivotal to helping you guys recover. Were there any other, um, intensives or programs that you feel like really helped both of you get to the place where you're at right now?
1: I mean, you, we talked pure desire off the top, pure desire was instrumental in that, and their, their resources and their, um, I don't remember if their I don't think their podcast was was rolling yet back, you know, when we were first in recovery, but they had a website and they had resources and my therapist pointed me to some of those and got plugged in, uh, with a group of guys doing a group um you know doing they didn't have conquer series yet but they had their seven pillars you know work and so all those things were just instrumental i mean and i got plugged into sa and SAA meetings for a period of time that were both helpful in different directions you know at different seasons so finding those groups um pure desire and then working with the csat were probably the biggest ones Mm -hmm. yeah we
2: did a bunch of intensives with our csat because she was not local to us um so we did a handful of intensives with her and then i'd say about four years into recovery you had already gotten involved with sa um and then we found pure desire Mm -hmm. and we were at a point then that we were like so thankful to find a community outside of this teeny little pocket Mm -hmm. in our town um I I had met with two wives that I got connected with by just sharing my story to my pastor's wife. And so I had like two recovery girls that I would meet with weekly or monthly for the first few years. And we just did our own like Al-Anon work. We just, we didn't have the books and all of the things. Um, and, but then when we found pure desire, that's when we started like we got to start this at our church. We got it. And that's when we kind of started sharing a little more publicly, not just with friends, but from a pub, more of a public standpoint to say like, we, every time we share people like can't believe it and people share something else back, you know? And so it was like, we've got to use this material and develop a bigger community here. And and that's when we started really just kind of like letting our own junk be used for um just the kingdom in whatever way whatever that would look like we didn't know that at was, that time that, that it, it would probably, end up yeah. in our own counseling practice
1: and That was probably about you know four years into recovery when we first we kind of felt healthy enough
2: to share a little
1: bit to just you know in moments share or mentor or be the you know the call that our, our church calls was like hey there's a couple in crisis would you go talk to them that's kind of how our giving back started
0: Wow, that's so amazing. And how how do you think that your your church members have been receiving this material from Pure Desire? Are there still like groups going on?
1: There are still are groups going, which is just really wow. cool. To see this many years later, the groups and like the groups that have formed from the groups and like how that's just continued and it's it's beautiful. I and mean, we're we're extremely thankful for our church and like, not yeah. everybody in the church was on board. And I think like, you'll find mm-hmm. that probably with any church of like, we can't talk about these things or, um, for sure. Uh, but still thankful for a church that allowed us to share and asked us to share a story publicly from the stage, you know, one, one day. And then a few years later, uh, asked me to give a sermon about and kind of talk about just recovery from the Christian perspective, what that looks like. And kind of, we yeah. launched, we launched pure desire groups from that and just churches that a church that came alongside and said, you're not, you're not your worst mistakes. Mm. Yeah. And because if that, I mean, if that's our, if that's any of our stories, we, there, there is no hope. Right. And so for a church to say, you're not your worst mistake. We see you for who you are. And we want to give you leaders like leadership opportunities, even. And that was mind blowing for me. Five years in recovery to have those kind of opportunities, thinking that like, man, my ministry, so to speak, it was was squandered. Um, they just did a lot of things right, and forever will be grateful for that team and the leadership team there.
0: Yeah. That's that's so amazing. Um I I'm kind of biased. I love, love, love pure desire. I'm currently in an unravel group. This is my second time around and it has just changed my life. Um, like you said, the community, the accountability, the groups, um, it's just been amazing. And so that's so awesome to hear that you guys have started that at your church and now it's still continuing to go on. Um, and you both mentioned that you opened a counseling practice, I'm assuming for couples. So what, how did that kind of start out? Where did you get the idea from? Um, and how has that been going so far?
2: Yeah, I right out of college, got my master's in counseling, um, I had a pretty difficult practicum, which is like internship. And so I just thought, you know, I don't think I can do this. Um, and I was coaching at the time. And so I finished my certification to be a teacher. So I did my three years to get trained as a counselor, but didn't get licensed and instead went into teaching. Um, so that I already had that background when everything fell apart for us, we got into our own therapy. We, I was teaching, Nate was in the business world. Um, it was when we started mentoring and, and doing some of the pure desire stuff at our church that our church would call us when there was crisis. And they would say, we don't know what to do, how to handle it. Will you just go talk to these people? Um, and then the church started financially supporting people to go out of state to find a CSAT to do like intensive work. They had, you know, help come alongside one or two couples a year when they would hit crisis like ours. Um, And then eventually my CSAT just said like, there's not one there. Why don't like, what are you doing? You're going and mentoring and you're telling people go find a CSAT, but you are already trained. Like you have a master's in counseling. It will not take very much for you to get fully, you know, to go back and get licensed and become a CSAT and so by the time I did become a CSAT and do the work to get there there was one other CSAT in our state Um, and so now there's one more that has recently moved here and so now there's three CSATs in the state of South Dakota Um, but it really just was born out of like I don't know you know our own desire to give back and want to help people And then, um, you know, you don't have to do that for free on the side, on top of being a mom and a teacher, you could really make this, um, your ministry. And so there was a lot of prayer going on, on like what that would look like if I came on board with just our church or how that would go. And God just really kind of directed and guided, um, some really perfect steps for me to get trained and licensed. And then, um, it was actually during COVID that we really decided, to launch our practice, which is called known counseling services, which, um, we really just kind of came to that name. We did a lot of different creative, um, thought sessions on it, but really like our goal is to help people achieve a greater level of intimacy, right. With themselves, with Christ, with each other, like whatever that is to them and whatever it is that they're wanting, but sexual addiction in and of itself is an intimacy disorder. And to be in recovery is to truly let people know you and to be known. And so that's kind of how, um, the story of our practice came to be. It's kind of a unique name known counseling services, but it really fits, um, when people ask like what, why, why that it really fits what our heart is and, and our goal is for when we do couples therapy.
1: And my journey was just a hair different. I mean, I was in the business world. Um, and to Maggie's point, we were mentoring a lot on the side and I was leading groups on the side and like loving that part of just giving back and sharing in an authentic way. And, um, similarly just kind of had the, uh, I started taking counseling classes, thought I was going to go down the road to be like a, a licensed counselor as well and then just felt like god kind of laid my heart to say like the coaching path is maybe a little bit better for you so i got certified as a life recovery and relationship coach and in 21 early 21 we had already launched our private practice with just maggie i walked out of the business world and uh just made a leap of faith that like this was going to happen full-time and it was terrifying and awesome and Mm -hmm. i haven't haven't regretted it for a day. Um, it's just been really fun. So I've been doing this work for a little over two years, full time. And we see individuals, we do couples work and, you know, each do couples work, but we'll we'll also do the work. Well, Maggie will work with one spouse and I'll work with the other and then we'll come together and do two on two couples work and intensives. Um, so certainly, you know, sexual addiction and, and, uh, betrayal intensives are, are, our focus or specialty, but I, I work with a lot of guys just one on one on just how to be healthy. And sometimes that includes unwanted sexual behavior and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but uh, it's really fun to work together and get to do this.
0: Wow, I like really wanna cry right now, honestly. Like I didn't know, Nate, I didn't know that you were a life recovery coach and Maggie, like I went to your website, but I guess I was just skimming through so fast, I didn't notice that you are CSAT certified. So that's so amazing. I am going to drop their links to their websites in the show notes. So if you are in South Dakota and looking for a CSAT or a life recovery coach, you, you, you gotta go to them for sure. Um,
2: And Nate as a life recovery coach can see anyone nationwide, which is one of the reasons why with Mm -hmm. our difficulty having to travel out of state to get help, we really wanted to make sure that people who lived in rural locations that didn't have access to help, um, Mm -hmm. we didn't want to be dictated to just one state. And so his ability as a, as a coach helps him be able to help anyone across the U S.
0: Wow, that's so cool. Thank you for pointing that out too. So that's even more of a reason to check out his website and to use his services. Um, I just see God's redemption. Like I, I see things in like a timeline. So just hearing about the finding out like year one, two, three, four, all the way to year seven, eight, and then just hearing what you guys are doing now—it's just so amazing. I'm so excited for you guys, um, and I'm—I've I'm, just been so blessed by just talking with y'all. So thank you so much again. Um, so to wrap up our conversation, I want to ask each of you, what do you wish that you would have known or done before you started your healing journey, like before you started recovery?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, what immediately comes to mind is kind of something that I mentioned earlier, earlier in the podcast, just around, you know, we're not, we're just not meant to have secrets and, you know, even having these little pockets of secrets and being 98% real with other people is still, is still hiding. And like what we know about things, just like fungus and mold, like in the dark, they continue to grow and It's like, to know that there are safe people who love you, who are willing to like accept you in all of your glorious junk that we all have. And that that's a step that we've got to take to be healthy. And so maybe that's like somebody's listening and that's the first step. It's like, find somebody they trust, find a friend and just say, man, I got some junk, I got some secrets. I'm like, it it can't stay there. And I wish I would have known how important that was and how that would have been such a first step to finding just health. How about you?
2: Yeah, I think I would just I mean, definitely, I wish I would have known about um, sexual addiction as a whole earlier. I would we could have intervened in our story earlier than where it escalated. Um, but I. Also, it's so hard to say that because I know got a lot of stuff to children, the children like there's just so many things there that if it played out differently, it probably wouldn't look like it does today. um but I definitely would have wanted like life is so good on this side of deep levels of intimacy and it's not easy. I'm not saying easy, but no nope, it's not easy <laughs> but good and. And sometimes it's good, hard. And sometimes it's, it's good, good. And um, I just wish that I would have known sooner that I could have had really deeper depth filled relationships mm-hmm. in my life, because it really is life changing.
1: Like I'm hearing what you say is like, there's hope, like there's hope oh, on the yeah. other side, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going yes. through, no matter what you're terrified to walk through, there's still hope for something really good on the other side. And that's not everybody's story. And like, we feel super blessed that that is part of our story, but there is hope um, where there's deeper levels of intimacy for things to be really awesome.
0: Yeah. And what would you say to couples who are struggling? Maybe they're not listening to this at the same time, but maybe the husband or the wife is listening and they are just like in that same stage that you guys were in when you guys were separated or even before, what would you tell them?
1: Don't do it alone. Get a CSAT, get, get a, get a helper, get like, find access to somebody who there is a path. There is a plan to get healthy and to walk through whether it's individually or a couple, like there, there are steps to take. Um, even when it feels really, really hopeless. And so just you're not alone. Um, you're not the only one to experience this and um, take a step to find somebody to talk to that can help guide you.
2: Mm-hmm. And I would say, like, another thing I wish I'd known was like that boundaries are okay. And if someone's not treating you or loving you the way that Christ called them to, then it, I think it's so hard for people to risk being alone that they stay way longer than they ever should. And like, God will sustain you find community but don't stay just out of fear of being alone and 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 don't stay because you want to be a christian martyr Mm -hmm. to stay because you think that's what god wants you to unless you have like a clear god is saying stay but if someone is non-repentant and continuing to hurt you and continuing to not do life how christ called them to be like it is okay for you to put in boundaries and for you to say no more so that's I think something too that I wish in the Christian culture that we are were in um the culture of like love like love and respect I remember we had done this study right but there wasn't I just never in any of the studies we did did I hear like what if your partner's not being respectable or not being what they need to be? Then what, what can you do? And we just, I think, need to give people permission that some people don't repent and they don't change and they don't grow. It is okay to have boundaries.
0: Great. Yeah, I'm so glad that you touched on that piece because I remember in the Pure Desire podcast, you said that you prayed your heart out but didn't know the word boundary. So I'm so glad that you touched. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, that's so good. Um, so I'm really glad that you touched on that. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. Um, you both have just encouraged me and my recovery journey. And I know that you guys are encouraging listeners out there. So thank you so much again. Thanks, thank you Lauren. so much. We Lauren. appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and it was encouraging to you. If so, please share this podcast and leave us a review. If you're interested in joining an online peer desire group or want to learn more about known counseling services, click on the link below in the show notes. Follow us on Instagram and let me know how this episode has impacted you. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's never too late to change. Have a great week.